0: Welcome, everybody. Find your seats again. Thank you for coming to church today. I promise you, today is going to be a day when you leave here that you're going to say, wow, I'm glad I came. Um, You know, I don't know how y'all are doing. Um, I've had a rough recent history, okay? I've been through some, just some struggles and some things that have just been kind of coming at me in different ways. And, you know, my heart's been a little heavy. I wasn't here last week. Very thankful. Rich stepping up and um, doing that and very thankful for um, just all the ways everybody pulls together and does what they do. But if you're anything like me, and if maybe not today, but in other times in your life, there are seasons of life when you're just troubled. Your heart is heavy, you're troubled, things aren't going the way they should go, and there can be a number of different categories that that could fall into. Uh, Obviously, there could be issues of health if you or somebody you love is not well, or maybe you've had a loved one recently pass, and that's been a cause of grief and difficulty for you. Maybe they're just relational issues where somebody you care deeply about, um, it, it, you're just at odds with them, and you can't seem to get along, and uh, those, those are real stressful things, and it really makes your heart very heavy. Maybe uh, they're financial issues. We live in a tough time nowadays where people are having a hard time finding work and paying their bills and making ends meet and seeing how everything's going to work out, and uh, that could be a cause of stress and, and just a burden on your heart as you think through that kind of stuff. Maybe they're just circumstances. Maybe your job is just taking a turn. Maybe just there's things going on that were unexpected and the circumstances just kind of just hit you crossways. Regardless of whatever it is, uh, today we want to just encourage you through the Scriptures that God has for us. I, 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 I want to share with you that just, again, without going into details, I have been in that season. Uh, I have been feeling like things have just been coming at me, and, you know, I'm just flesh and blood like anybody, and I get beat down. And, and quite frankly, this last week, all I did was just take a few days just to get away and just to rest and just to have a chance to kind of reconnect with God. Well, in our story, uh, we're in John chapter 14, by the way, and you can go ahead and take your Bibles and get ready there. We'll, we'll look into that in just a second. When I think about the difficulties and the troubles that, that weigh heavy on our heart, there's probably a lot of different ways that we typically, knee-jerk reaction, uh, respond to that. You know, we, we might immediately run and call some of our friends for help. Uh, we might just sit and complain a lot. Um, at the end of the day, what a lot of us do is just panic, okay? We just say, man, I don't know what to do. And then and then our mind starts to race about how can I take care of this so that the trouble goes away. And And the problem is, is that when we do those things rarely do they work, right? They rarely work. And, and what we're going to see is what Jesus says that we should do about it in this passage starting in chapter number 14. And, and the context leading into this as we came through chapter 13 is that the disciples were gathered together for supper with Jesus and he does the foot washing thing and he reveals that Judas Iscariot is the one who's going to betray him. And, and, and so he passes that sop to Judas and ultimately Judas leaves the room. And then he begins to turn to the other 11, and Jesus throughout the end of chapter 13 and going into the next several chapters, 14, 15, 16, and even into 17, he really reveals his heart in a much more personal and intimate way with that special group of his disciples that were the true ones that would stick with him. And and while he's doing that, listen, in the midst of that, we saw last week that Peter, uh, with his zeal, just says that, hey, I'll, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, Pete, you will. You really will. And before it's all done, we find that even the disciples, by the time Jesus is going to go to the cross, they're all going to forsake him at one point or another at, at, at some level. And so the disciples, can you imagine if you're in that room at that moment, there is, there's some anxiety. Okay, Judas is going to betray him and Pete's going to deny him, and they're all kind of looking at each other and saying, what's happening? What about me? What about me? And, and, and how's all this going to play out? They thought everything was going okay, and they're, they're, they're kind of disturbed. They're, their heart is heavy. And so that's exactly what we see as we come into this. The, the title I've given today is Help for a Troubled Heart. Help for a Troubled Heart. And, and it's a very practical message today. I'm telling you, as we just Let God speak to our hearts today through the words of Scripture that He has in chapter 14. I promise you're going to be encouraged. So just sit back, relax, prepare to let the Lord speak to you and edify you as we go through the Scriptures. Let's read together in chapter 14, starting in verse number 1. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him. And have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works." Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So, before we jump into this, let's do that. Let's ask something in his name. Heavenly Father, we see what you desire for us and your amazing plan for our lives. And Lord, our desire in Jesus' name and in the power of the strength of your revelation as you've given it to us, is that your Holy Spirit would come this hour and be our teacher. That you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal our, your eternal truth, that you would show us wherever we're at on the map of human existence and in the, in, the, in the myriad of circumstances that every individual has in front of them right now, that you would show each and every one of us exactly what you want for each of us to do and how to respond. Lord, please come and make your will clearly known, and please come and touch our hearts and allow us to experience you in a way that maybe we haven't in a long time long time. Lord, help us not to have troubled hearts. Help us to do what you have laid out for us to do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we're going to see is just verse number one, and that is to focus your faith. Focus your faith. Verse number one, very simple. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. So the Bible is very clear. If we believe in God okay we, we are theists we're not atheists we're theists we believe in God that's that's fine that's all good but that's not enough you probably know a lot of people who aren't interested in going to church who don't read bibles who don't name the name of Jesus but they would all say I believe in God of course I believe in God the majority of people on the planet say they believe in God and Jesus says you believe in God that's fine believe also in me And so that's very important. Jesus says we need to focus our faith and we need to understand that he is who he is. It says in James chapter 2 that the devils also believe that there's one God. And that doesn't seem to do them any good, right? It says they believe and they tremble, but they're still ending up with their punishment in a lake of fire. I mean, just believing that there is a God is never the answer, okay? We have to specifically focus our faith on the person who, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he says is, if we will do this, that we, we're going to get some assurance. We're going to get some calm. We're going to get some security. We're going to get some peace. He says, let not your heart be troubled, but rather believe in me. Believe in me so that your heart will not be so troubled. And we all seek for this, probably, I think, more than anything else we seek for in all of our lives. We seek for these elements of life, peace, comfort, security, protection, contentment, ease. Those are the elements of life that everybody desires. Many people search after those things through the avenues of hard work. And that's fine. And, and saving money and resources and investments and retirements and, and all of those things because ultimately I want to be able to have my period of life at ease and protection and comfort and security. And that's fine. If you can pull that off and you can afford and you can invest and you can do those things, please do those things. But at the end of the day, do not be confused into thinking that those things in uh, in of themselves provide that peace and comfort and contentment, protection, and security. Because you know just as well as I do that any one of those things can be gone in a second. And Jesus Christ is the only one that ultimately provides those levels of assurance that we need to have in our heart. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. It's interesting, if you look a little further down in chapter number 14, and we'll get to it in weeks to come, but if you look down in verse number 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And he says it again, let not your heart be troubled. And goes on to say, neither let it be afraid. And the idea of your heart being troubled is associated with this idea of fear. Because fear is that panicky feeling that i'm troubled i'm fearful i i don't know what might happen out in the future it is unknown it is unpredictable and rather jesus says have faith faith also is some evidence of things not seen it's not associated with your vision but yet your faith in god seems to calm everything down does it not And that's literally what he's saying to us. And so that's what fear is. Fear comes from the lack of faith. We see this all through the scriptures because faith and fear cannot mutually coexist. And I'm just going to give you a few examples. You have the references in your notes. Matthew 8, 26, Jesus said unto them, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? The moment that they're fearful, Their faith is very small. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 50, it says, Fear not, believe only, and thou shalt be made whole, and she shall be made whole. So when you believe, the fear vanishes. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8, this list of people that end up being judged eternally in the category, it starts right off and it says, But the fearful and the unbelieving, see how those two are linked? When you are unbelieving, you're fearful. And Jesus says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Just believe in me. Not just believe in general, believe in me. You believe in God the Father, you believe there's a God, that's good. But you've got to focus it in and believe in me. It's the lack of faith and it's also the lack of love. And I just wanted to point this out to you in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. It's a great verse of the Scripture. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment And that's the troubling sensation. That's the thing that causes the panic. That's when the circumstances of life get rough and things are crumbling in around you and your foundations are shaking and it it torments you. And he says, look, that's all about fear. Fear brings those feelings, not love, not love. And and if we were to cross-reference in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number seven, it's one of my all-time favorite verses. It says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. If you have the spirit of fear that's panicking your heart into torment, just know this, that that doesn't come from God. What God gives us is the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so love, again, is the opposite of fear. And fear is the thing that causes us to be troubled. And in the context of Jesus and the disciples, now they're starting to panic. Judas is out, and he's going to betray him, and Pete's going to deny him, and I don't know what's going to happen to me because those guys were awesome. In our group, they were the pillars. And man, the rest of us just kind of been in the crowd. And so they're starting to panic, and they're fearful, and they're troubled, and they're tormented, and they're not sure what to do. And Jesus says, hey, just, just, just take it easy believe in me surrender to me allow me to be the guide of your and what he says to them by the way he says to all of us allow me to be the guide of your life every single day yes hopefully you have made a one time great big decision at some point in your past i surrendered my heart and life to the lord jesus christ for the forgiveness of my sins And for the free gift of eternal life. And and I hope everybody would say I've done that at some point. But the real question is, are you doing that believing him for his guidance and direction and surrendering to his direction daily? Because daily new things come on us. Daily things trouble us. Daily things pop up in our lives. And, And trusting in that, friends, is just an expression of our love. We love him because he first loved us. That's what that verse went on to say. And so we love him. He demonstrated it first. But when we love him, we don't fear. We just don't. And so there's no need to worry about that. But the second point is really the thing that I think is going to nail it home for us as we continue in the verses. So the second point is to remember the promises. So we're focusing our faith. Now we're going to remember the promises. And man, this is just a, just a, list of promises that jesus whips out one after another of all the awesome things that he's got for us in our future and man if you can't get excited about the list of things that he rifles through in these next five verses um, then, then we need to start at square one and just make sure that you know that you know him in salvation because this is a tremendous list and understand this it is the promises of god that stimulate your faith. We're going to prove that in just a second, but just think about it for a second. What is it that causes you to desire to trust God more according to his word? Things that go contrary to maybe your vision, to the immediate evidence of your circumstances, physically speaking. What is it that causes you to trust God in his word? Is it not the promises that he gives to us? Listen, it's the law of God, the judgment of God, the prophecy of law and judgment does not stimulate your faith. The law of God stimulates some fear that hopefully drives you to Jesus where you find the ultimate salvation, the ultimate answer. Is that not right? But the law and judgment does not stimulate faith. It is always a promise of God that causes us to say, wow, I want that. I will believe that. And you go for that. And that's exactly what we see all through the scriptures. In fact, it's the good news that draws people to salvation. I love Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4, where it says this Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing, notice, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Uh, If you're saved here today, you're saved because at some point in your life, the little light turned on and it clicked in your brain that God is good. And he has endured all of my foolishness for a long, long time. And I will believe in him because ultimately he holds the keys of death and hell and he has the free gift Of eternal life. Yes, you may have feared the judgment of hell, but if you did not understand the prize of eternal life, you did not put your faith in Him, you did not repent of your sins. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And promises keep us from fear. Like we saw about faith and love, they're kind of opposite. And so notice how this works out in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 32. He says, Fear not, little flock. And, and notice how he ties it in. For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he ties it with a promise. He gives you a promise. Hey, it's the Father's pleasure. He wants to give you this eternal righteous kingdom. Don't fear. Don't fear. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let not your conversation be, or let your conversation, excuse me, be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a great promise. So that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why? Because the Lord is my helper. Why? Because the Lord will never leave me. The Lord will never forsake me. And whether it be a monetary financial challenge that causes me to consider being covetous, or anything else in life, because the Lord is with me and will never leave me, why would I fear? Why would I fear? Promises keep us from fear. Revelation chapter number one, verses 17 and 18. John writes, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Don't fear, John. That that image of the glorified Lord caused him to fall on his face like a dead man, and Jesus just comes over and comforts him, and he says, Hey, hey, get up. Relax. I'm on your side, and I got the keys, and it's all good, and we're going to win. Don't worry about it. Just Just get back up. That's how he does it. He gives us these promises. And when, listen, when Jesus makes a promise to you, you know you can count on it, right? I mean, I lo- listen, if you don't know Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, y'all need to memorize Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, okay? At least part of it that says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. This hope of eternal life, the great big prize, the great big promise, which, by the way, it's absolutely impossible for God to lie, right? He promised that to us. And so Jesus has some amazing promises, and that's what we're going to look at here, coming back to John chapter 14 now and starting in verse number 2. And it starts, I'm just going to take them one by one because we're going to take them slow and we're going to walk through this thing because if you take them slow and you look at them, you realize there's a lot more in here than maybe you would have saw when we just read through it. The first thing is, is that God the Father has a house. In my Father's house. God the Father has a house. Does that seem weird to you? Why? Well, you got one. I mean, why not? Right? So he has a house. And you get into this thing, you know, and it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. Okay, Now, some of you have been around church for a long, long time, and you've studied the Bible, and maybe you've even done some comparative reading. There are other Bible versions besides this King James Bible, and they don't use the word mansions. Okay, They'll typically say something like, in my father's house are many rooms, because it sounds kind of foolish to think he has a house, and inside the house there's mansions. That's probably a mistranslation, so we're going to clarify it. We're going to say, in my father's house, it's a really big house, there's a contemporary song that talks about my father's house, big, big house, and lots and lots of rooms, and all that. Stuff. And that's all cool, okay? And so they say it's better to really say in my father's house are many rooms. And then you get the, just, just, I'm just having fun now, by the way. And so then you get the hardcore King James only thumper guys, and uh, they get over here and they say, bless God, you got a King James Bible, you got a mansion, uh, God's bl- giving me a mansion, I'm not having just a room, I'm having me a mansion, amen, bless God. How'd I do? Listen. It says what it says. I only address this because maybe you've heard some of this stuff and, you know, we're having fun together. But he says in my father's house are many mansions, okay? That's what he said. I want you to understand that that word house does not necessarily mean that it was poured on a slab of concrete and built with two-by-fours, okay, by, by, by construction guys. The word house as it's used in the scriptures most frequently refers to what we would consider household. A household. Okay, it's a family, really. And and, and so what he has here, if you look how it's used in Ephesians chapter two, verses nineteen and twenty through twenty two, excuse me, Ephesians nineteen, the end of that chapter two of Ephesians. It says, Now therefore ye, ye the church, the the, the saved in Ephesus, are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And that's exactly the meaning. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together, notice, for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so all he's really saying, guys, is that God has a household, Okay? He does. And it's, it's, it's big, for sure. There's room. Okay? There's, there's room for you. Okay? And, and that really leads us into the next deal, because it says, the next point that I have for you is that Jesus is preparing your place there, because he says, and I go and prepare a place for you. So, in my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus says, I go and prepare a mansion for you. No, he didn't say that. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. There's no need to get all twisted about whether it's a mansion or not. It says mansion, I'm going with that. I'm just telling you, it doesn't say that each and every one of us get our own mansion. Is that right? That's what it says. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. How exactly does that work out? Well, I'm not sure that I know. I'm not sure that it says. I know that I got me a spot. And Jesus is going to prepare it for me. I know that, right? And so if you're in too, you got you a spot. And I'm sure that you're going to be thrilled with it when you get it. And if it's a place within some big old mansion or whether it's your own mansion, is it, it's all good, right? But that's what he says. By the way, this is a great amen day. If y'all ain't figuring out the amen thing today, you know, we're just I'm going to just pray for you. They're like, I need him to pray for me. I'm preparing a place for you. So what we see about this household of God is it is a, notice, prepared place for a prepared people, right? That's what it is. Jesus takes a prepared people, those who believe in him, and he is preparing for them a place. And, and I'm going to read a big old long chunk of Scripture to you, but I think it'll be an encouragement. So you're going to keep your finger here in John 14, and you're going to flip back way to the very end of the Bible, okay? The very, very end, second to last chapter in the whole Bible. And we're going to look in Revelation chapter number 21. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but doggone it, most of it. Revelation chapter 21. And just maybe you want to follow along, maybe you want to read it on the screen, maybe you just want to shut your eyes. And just hear the words and let them soak in as we think about the prepared place that God has for us. I'm starting verse number two. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. If you look down a little bit further, I'm going to keep reading starting in verse number 10. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west. Three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall. The um, wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like under clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a uh, chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus. the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl... And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass, and I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the lamb's book of life that's your prepared place if your name is written in the lamb's book of life can i just say to you briefly God has always prepared places for prepared people of his creation. Back in the time of Israel, if you went back to Exodus 23, you could read about how God had prepared a place for Israel, and he was literally referring to Canaan as they would ultimately enter into the promised land. But in Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 41, we have a different prepared place for a different prepared audience it's called hell, and it says in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So hell is a prepared place also. And by the way, hell was never designed for any of us to go there. But people will go there if they become unbelieving, if they refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, the only God way truth and life the only way to the father so that we are prepared people we have a prepared place and the third thing is very simple jesus is coming back y'all He is absolutely coming back. We don't get this is the theme of the whole Bible. It runs from the very beginning. It runs to the very end. If you look back in John chapter 14, we read verse 27. Look at verse 28. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. It's stated over and over and over and over all through the Scriptures, on that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, the greatest chapter probably in all the Bible uh, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then our continuing on into eternity, where it says in verses 22 and 23, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. When you believe in Christ, you are made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first, first fruits; afterward they that are Christ's, when at his coming he is coming back that's what he said to us he said i go to prepare a place for you and he said i will come again you say well it seems like it's taken forever people have been saying he's going to come back for centuries yes they have so what he doesn't tell us when we don't know the day we don't know the hour We can probably get an idea about the times and the seasons. People have guessed wrong all throughout history. Nothing changes the fact that it's going to happen. Absolutely guaranteed, solid, take it to the bank, proven, absolute fact, Jesus is coming back. And you know what he goes on to say? Not only that, but Jesus prepared a place. He's coming back, and he is personally going to escort you there. He's your personal escort. When we get to, that's what he says, right? He's going to be your escort, and I will receive you unto myself. You know what we call that? The rapture of the church. That's what we call that. We call that the day when he calls our name and we're all gathered together unto him. And, and I want to just remind you of that. Maybe some of you are not as familiar with it. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And I just want you to, again, see what God says about this glorious day. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Being asleep in this context literally means people who have been saved, who have already passed away physically. Okay, so they have died, although they were saved. So it says that they're, it's like they're just sleeping. And that's the, the comparison that the Bible uses. So I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that ye who are still around sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and, and we do, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Prevent meaning go before. We will not go ahead of them. Okay, prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, which, by the way, that would be really cool if we get to be alive and remain when that happens. Anyway, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And just to keep the context with everything we're saying in John 14, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There's great comfort in these words. When you think about the fact that God the Father has a house and in his house there's plenty of room, there's room for you and Jesus is preparing your place and he's going to come again and he's going to come and he's going to get you and he's going to take you and he's going to take you right to that place. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. There's no reason for that. Because he says that Look, when we meet him in the air, there's this pesky little thing called the judgment seat of Christ. (laughs) Then we get to go into being in that new Jerusalem. That's another message, okay? That's a different day. But that's true. But that's a different deal. That's not judging your sins. Your sins are forgiven on Jesus Christ, amen? And your eternity is secure. It's absolutely that way. Jesus will personally escort you And we will be together forever. We'll be together forever. Jesus says that where I am, there ye may be also. I obviously love the King James Version of the Bible. I love the Old English these and thou's. If you truly, honestly, sincerely have not figured out the advantage of thee and thou and ye and you you just haven't looked into the grammar enough because thee is singular. Thou would be the other grammatical form, the the object, when you, it's the object of the sentence. Ye is plural. So ye is y'all. Okay? And I'm saying this unto you means unto you all. If I say it unto thou, then it's unto an individual. Okay? So that ye all may be With me. So, yes, absolutely. Above all, without comparison, no one's a close second. We all get to be with Jesus. But the we all part means we all get to be with each other. Together, forever, in eternity. You got any loved ones that? have already passed and they knew Jesus. We get to all be together. Ever cross your mind how cool it would be to really meet the Apostle Paul? King David? Jacob? Abraham? Pick your favorite list. Whoever you like the best. Or not. You'll like them all eventually. we're all going to be there together. And and it's just going to be the party of the century. I mean, the Bible talks about an event. And it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, you know, the, the, the whole idea of supper, biblically, so we got this right. It's all about fellowship. Fellowship is food. Food is fellowship. It would have been cultural at their day. It's cultural in our day. The marriage supper of the Lamb probably is a massive banquet. That would be awesome. And above all of that, of course, is just the idea of the fellowship. And you think about maybe those times, if you've ever been a part of like a, a, a big family reunion or just a big party of some of your favorite people and you're all sitting around and you're eating and you're telling stories and you're laughing and you're joking and you're just having the time of your life. And just amplify that about a gazillion times with everybody who has ever surrendered their heart truly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the sin junk is out. It's gone. It's done. And we're just righteous and holy and pure and glorified and with him and together and focused. And wow. And maybe swapping stories. Maybe just talking about God did this in my life and God did this in my life. And I don't know if I got much to say, but I can't wait to hear some of them. I think it'd be awesome that ye may be together with me. We're going to be there together. You may be also there with me. Not only that, we're not done. (laughs) You've been given directions. And and you know what? He says you already know the way. You know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And, And you know, thank God for Thomas, really. You know, Thomas is like Lord... We don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there. Thomas is the guy that, if this were a Hollywood movie, I love the fact that Hollywood producers and directors and writers think far enough ahead to realize that a lot of us are not really bright enough to follow the, st- the story. And so if there's been a plot or a story that's kind of mysterious or whatever, and you're following it along, and you get near the end, and they're about to wrap up the movie. We're getting near two hours. It's going to wrap up. You know it's going to wrap up. But you're like, dang, I still don't know what they're talking about. Who was that girl anyway? (laughs) And there's always somebody in the movie who says, dang, what was her role? So that somebody else in the movie can explain to that person who that person, you know what I'm talking about? So that you're sitting in your living room like, whew, am I glad they asked that question. That's what God did for us with Thomas. Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. (laughs) And he's like, all right, let me just make this easy for you. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Let me just just put it right across the plate waist high. You're just not gonna miss this. This is just as easy as pie. I am the way. That's why you believe in God. That's great. You gotta believe in me. Because without me, you don't get there. It ain't happening. It's just not happening. And so that's how it works, Thomas. And, and, and the dialogue literally is directly to Thomas. And then Philip jumps in. Okay? And, and so it's interesting because he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. No man comes to the Father but by me. Okay? Uh, by the way, 1 John 5, verse 12. I put that in your notes as well. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life. Very simple. It's, this theme is all through the Bible. So Jesus is the way. He, he is the only way. There is no other way. And, and that's important because if you, again, grammatically even, if, you, you know, if you're one of the weird small percentage of people like me and a few others that actually kind of like looking at grammar, I know, it's weird. The definite article, the, I am the way, it's very important. It's not "I am a way," meaning one acceptable way among many acceptable ways, right? So you're driving down the road, and the guy in front of you has the bumper sticker on the back of the car that says "coexist." You've seen those, right? And every, you know, it's got all the little symbols of all the different. If we can just all get along, you call him God, Jesus, Allah, Mohammed, Krishna, Buddha. Okay, whatever. It's all the same. No, it's not. Absolutely not. It's not even close to the same. He is the way. And if you're not going to God through Jesus Christ, you're not getting there. I'm sorry. You're just, that's what he said. And if you don't like it, then, you know, take it up with him. I'm just telling you, its what he said. It's very simple. The ultimate question, obviously, have you received, you as an individual, hast thou received, <laughs> okay, the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you done that? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Have you surrendered to his lordship in your personal, individual life? If so, then you're in. You're in. Yay. I'm the way. You go back to John chapter 10. He says, I'm the door. You want to get in? You got to go through the door. I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the door. I'm the truth. I'm the light. I'm all, I'm all of that. And he says, that's who I am. Now think about it. Let's, let's back, back up to where we started. In the bigger picture of life, we entered in, and I shared with you, you know, this hasn't been a a great month. You know, it's been a little tough for me, so, you know, I needed to get out and spend a little time alone with the Lord, and and, and listen, the Lord really encouraged me, and I know we're walking through John systematically. I know this is the next passage of Scripture we had. It's also exactly what I needed. Hopefully, it's what a lot of you needed. But in the world of troubles and difficulty and stress and panic and hardship and things that we deal with, and then in light of all these promises that he just rapid fire hit us with, let me just ask you a question. I have a good friend, and we ask each other this question every so often. How bad can it be anyway? I mean, how bad can your troubles really be? in the light of this bigger picture of what God's got for you, really? Do we really need to panic about all that stuff? And I, listen, I'm not, I'm not belittling real difficulties that we go through because we're still in a sinful world. Listen, there's, there's evil people around us and things go wrong. But get the perspective and your heart doesn't need to be troubled. Remember the promises of God. The promises of God stimulate faith. And that's how it works. The last thing we're going to look at is this, third point. Know the person. Know the person. And so from verse 7 coming on down, Jesus starts out and he says, look, talking to Philip because Philip jumps in. And he's like, if you had just, if you had known me, if you'd known me, Philip, there's no need for you to worry. Have you ever been in conflict with another individual, somebody that you really care about? Maybe it's um, your spouse, maybe it's a good friend. Maybe, maybe you're a parent and maybe it's your child and maybe your, your kid is panicking about something and, and they're just, you know, they're all shook up and, and they think that things are going to go bad and, and somehow you're in the middle of it all and, and you, you come to them and you say, listen, really, don't you know me by now? Don't you understand that I'm your dad? I would not I never <laughs> do anything to hurt you, ever. If you just knew me, then you would know. There's no reason for your heart to be troubled. I'm here for you, man. And I feel like that's what Jesus is saying to us. Look, Philip, if you'd known me, don't you realize I'd never let those bad things happen? Because a troubled heart comes from fear of the unknown. And when we fear the unknown, what we need to do is land our ship solidly in the known. And what we need to know is Jesus, the person, not the concept, not the religion, not the theology, not a, com- a compilation of Bible verses, not any of that stuff, not good works, not baptism, none of that stuff. We need to know the Lord Jesus, know the person, who he is. Because otherwise we're floundering out in the unknown. But we need to know Him. That only happens by faith. That's the only way it possibly could happen. So in these verses, what Jesus basically does, He's talking to Philip, and then ultimately He turns to all of us, but He basically just describes this more detailed, intimate snapshot into who He really is. Remember, Judas, who's the fake, is now gone. He's not in the room anymore. So He turns to the trusted 11, and He's like, all right, guys, all right. Gather up here. Huddle up. Let me give you some insight a little deeper into who I am. And basically what he gets into is, is he describes this one point. That Jesus is one with the Father. He is in me and I am in him. Philip, if you have seen me, you've already seen the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. John chapter 10 and verse number 30. Very, very, very clear. I am one with with him, And what we really see going on here is Jesus is beginning to expound. He's, he's hinted at it before, but he's really beginning to lay out this concept of the Trinity, okay? Because before this chapter is done, he's talking about when I leave, I'm going to send to you another comforter. And we understand it's the Holy Spirit that will live inside of us. And man, I'm telling you, chapters 14, 15, and 16, they're just packed full of awesome promises and cool stuff God's going to do because he left physically and sends us the Holy Spirit. And so you've got the Father, you've got the Son, and before the chapter's over, you've got the Holy Spirit, and they're all one in each other. And ultimately, by the time we're done and Jesus is praying in John chapter 17, we are one in him with the Trinity. And we're all just just together and could not possibly be separated. And that's exactly what he's trying to get across. Look, if you just understood this, You can go all the way back to the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9 and it'll come up on the screen. Please just look at this. This is so cool if you've never seen it. Isaiah 9, 6. We read it at Christmas. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Awesome, great. Keep reading. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Which shoulder? The the child. The child who's the son, right? And his name shall be called. Several different names. Wonderful. Counselor the mighty God. Emmanuel, God is with us. Notice this one. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Have you ever read that before and just thought, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called the everlasting Father. Really? You know, but that's who it is. It's God, the Trinity, eternally existing, manifest in different ways and different persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jeff, do you understand all that? Absolutely not. You mean you believe it and you don't fully understand it? Of course, because that's what he said. And, I, and you know what that does? It comforts me. It comforts me. I don't need to know it all. I just need to know I'm hooked up with the right guy. It works fine. It works just fine. Jesus is God. It's the theme of the Gospel of John. We've been talking about it for over a year. That's who he is. By the way, if you, just, if you just go home at lunch and you just meditate on the Father is the Son and the Son is the Father and it's not, you know, a little G God versus a big G God. No, they're absolutely the same. The Spirit, absolutely the same. All equal in attributes, all equal to be worshipped and honored and adored and prayed to and served and all of that just have different roles. Just like in a family husband, wife, children. We're equal in being. We just have different roles. That's all. So think about it. If Jesus is really God, He is. (laughs) And if we're really in Him, we are. What do you got to worry about? Really? And what do you got to worry about? I want to bring your attention to One of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible. It's Romans chapter 8. Let's just look there. Just a few of my favorite verses from Romans chapter 8. Start in verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. And verse 18 I love, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And with that same thought, let's just fast forward to the verse many of us already know, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. And he goes on and describes how that all plays out. Because in eternity, God uses all the things for our good. And then we're just going to jump in verse 31 and keep reading. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? That's a tough list, y'all. And I don't know what you're going through, and forgive me if I cross a line, I don't mean to, but odds are, we're not, we're not living a, a rougher life than that's on that list right there, cumulatively. But he goes on in verse 36, and he, he quotes actually a verse of Scripture from the Psalms, and he says, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Who wants to join that? <laughs> verse 37, Nate, avoiding all these things, we're more than conquerors. Is that what it says? No. In all these things, the trials and the tribulations, the distress, the persecutions, every bit of that, in all those things, we're still more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Listen, if you just understand who you are in Him, it's all good. I mean, it just is. It's just all good. Philippians 4 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. Careful literally means full of care. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, isn't that what we're talking about? Let not your heart be troubled, y'all. Be at peace. How am I going to do that? Quit worrying. Why am I going to quit worrying? Just pray about stuff. Believing in Him, exercising your faith, and doing that. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Have you ever met people like that? Maybe you've been those people. Things are just awful, and somehow or another, you're cool? And people look at you and are like, wow, how can you be so calm in the midst of this? Your life is rough. And you're like, I don't know. I can't explain it. God's just helping me out. He's just giving me grace. His grace is sufficient. And I'm just rolling with it. That's a great feeling, by the way. And so he says, the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. There it is. 1 Peter 5, 7 casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. If you really know Jesus, you know what? Your heart won't be troubled, at least not near as often. You'll find the strength to persevere through the difficulty. And what happens is, it's interesting, because as we go on now, and we're just looking at verses 12, 13, and 14 to wrap this up, he goes, and he's been talking to Philip, those old English Uh, personal pronouns, thee and thou, have been in the sentences up until here, okay? But in verse number 12, he goes to the plural. And so it's coming to all of us now. And it says, verily, verily, I say unto you, okay? I say unto you, not that I say unto thee. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So there's some results of believing on him. First is that you get greater works. And I don't know about you, but I think about the greater works. I can do greater works than Jesus. Really? (laughs) Have you seen the list of works that he's done? I mean, we don't have to go too far, right? I mean, the healing of the people, lame and blind, and I almost said lime and blamed. And um, yeah, those guys too, that would be bad. Um, Yeah, lime, never mind. Anyway, uh, yeah raising the dead, walking on the sea. I mean, really, all that stuff? I'm going to do greater work. Well, consider this. How is that possible? It's what he said. He's not lying. God can't lie. Remember that? Where is that, by the way? God can't lie? Titus 1-2. Awesome. Way to go. So somehow it's got to be true. And how can that be true? Well, maybe we're not, face it. Face it, y'all. We ain't doing greater physical, literal, on-the-spot stuff than Jesus ever did, right? It ain't happening. But the stuff that Jesus did physically, miraculously, supernaturally, all illustrated spiritual stuff, did it not? Did not healing of a blind man really picture for us a guy who can get saved? Now let's say God uses us to lead somebody else to the Lord so they get saved, is that more, not more important than somebody who is blind who can now see and maybe still goes to hell? And, and a lot of people get all fired up about, you know, removing poverty from the planet. And that's cool. Uh, you know, if you can help do that, that's great. Help people who are hurting, absolutely. But if they go to hell with a full belly, does it really help them? I'm not saying don't help them. Don't get me wrong. What's the greater work? Well, the greater work is Salvation. And think about it this way, because Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, he walked around in a physical body. He put on human flesh, and he lived for about 33 years. And when he did, he was confined to the Middle Eastern region of the nation of Israel, okay? But now we are the body of Christ. Through his spirit, God lives in each and every one of us all over the planet simultaneously. The body of Christ today, y'all, is preaching his word to billions of people today, it's a little bit greater in scope, is it not? It really is. If you believe, you get to be a part of that. And the last thing is talking about answered prayer. And he says, "Wow, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you." And you know that you know that twists us up just a little bit. Why? Because we ask stuff all the time. Don't get it. And and you know what? I don't know about you, man, but every time I ask for it, I always say in Jesus' name. Don't you? <laughs> I mean, if you don't say in Jesus' name, it's like sending the letter without putting a stamp on it first, right? That's not what he's talking about. You compare 1 John chapter 5, the other parallel passage from the same human author, where he talks about the guarantee of answered prayer. And instead of the phrase, in his name, in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says, if you ask anything according to my will. And that's what in my name means, according to his will. That means your prayers need to be biblical. Listen, y'all, the greater works and the answered prayer thing, this is, that's a whole other sermon if we wanted it to be. Let me just wrap it up with a statement, okay? If, if we pray and live our lives in this book, believing Him by faith and doing what He says and casting our care upon Him and crying out to Him the things that He has already said He wants, a whole lot more stuff's going to happen. It really, really is. And I want you to think about this. Because if you saw God do great spiritual works through you, and if you had many prayers answered in your life, would that not help to keep your heart from being troubled? <laughs> it would mine. You know, we all get a little carnal from time to time. Nobody's immune. But man, walking with the Lord and seeing Him do stuff for some reason just helps us to forget about some of the little petty things that really get us twisted let not your heart be troubled don't let it be afraid you believe in God believe also in me I've got a whole slew of awesome promises for your whole life I mean how bad can it be really (laughs) and I'm going to do stuff through you and we can talk together along the whole way until I bring you home I mean it's a great great life Well, I'm going to wrap this up, and I want us to pray together. So if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to just talk to you for just a brief second, and we're going to be done. Because I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your heart and in your life. And what is it that's troubling your heart? Because if what's troubling your heart is the fact that you're not sure you're saved, if this life ended and you stood before the Lord today, maybe... You're not sure your name would be written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I invite you to just right now and in your own way, just just surrender that to Him? Just, Just confess your sins and ask Him to save you? But maybe you're here and you're like, look, I've done that, but you know what? My life's still a mess. I just haven't been believing Him. I haven't been trusting Him. I haven't been walking with Him. I forgot about the promises. I'm thinking about the here and the now. And maybe you just need to live that verse in Peter that says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. In just a second, we're going to sing a song and receive an offering and all that sort of thing. But while we're doing that, you might want to just come down front and get on your knees and pray and cast your care on the Lord because He cares for you. Maybe you want to talk to to one of the pastors. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about salvation. We want to help you with that. But whatever it is, let's just do what God has spoken to us to do. Lord Jesus, we love you.